With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. It's Friday, May 15th, 2015, and we are on the second of our series about boards and women serving on boards. And the topic that we're going to talk about today is mentoring. And our guest today is Elizabeth Gaffari, and she has written a book called Tapping the Wisdom That Surrounds You, Mentorship and Women. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you so much, Chicky. A pleasure to be here today. You know, this is a topic that I just love, Elizabeth. It's very, very close to my heart, and I, I try to set aside, you know, a certain amount of time to sew back in into the women that are around me uh, within the Executive Girlfriends Group. Uh, some some days that's more challenging than others because life life gets in the way. But uh, I want to hear from from you first of all. Let's hear a little bit about your your background, and you know, we don't wake up and become authors. Uh, there's something that usually precedes that. So tell us a little bit of your story. Uh, I am uh, president and founder of Technology Place Incorporated, which is a consulting business in the, in the obviously, technology space. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been um, in business since the late 80s, um, and I had started to look around again towards the turn of the century and realized that once again, I was in a minority when it comes to being a woman entrepreneur and a woman in technology. And I aspired to be on corporate boards as well. I started to look and uh, try to discover what are the things that successful women do to achieve some of the ambitions that I had in my mind, such as a board. Uh, So I wrote my first book, Outstanding in Their Field, based on my research about women on corporate boards in California. California. Right. My second book was about women in leadership in a variety of fields. And the third one was kind of a collection of uh, tales that people had told me about mentorship on the way to the top. Mm. Terrific. Well, I, you know, I love the fact that uh, when I asked my producer to put together this series yesterday, we talked um, to the founder of Women in the Boardroom and she was sharing with us kind of the hows, uh, you know, and, and how you prepare yourself. But we ended up talking about networking. And so this whole concept of mentoring really comes into play because it doesn't just start with getting on the board. It's how, how do you manage that whole set of new relationships and all of the new learning that you do. And, and so I think maybe even your mentorship might change uh, at that point. So – Give us uh, just a thumbnail of of what actually spurred you to write this particular book and who the audience was. Okay. Well, first of all, I I, uh, commend Sheila Roning and Women in the Boardroom to all of your audience. One of the chapters of my book about at work, uh, women mentors from business or careers includes the story of Sheila Roning and how she evolved her business from a small marketing company through connections and networking to the very successful Women in the Boardroom 
program today, which is probably right. one of the more positive uh, programs and strategies for women to learn about governance and corporate boards and focusing on the opportunities and the possibilities to enhance their careers in, this, in the later stages of their lives. Um, but going back, this particular book it came about because I had been reading, as often I do, about the number of articles that women and researchers were writing about mentorship and sponsorship. And it was a negative tone. It was all focused on why women don't get ahead because they don't have mentors and they don't <laughs> right. have sponsors. And I started talking to friends and family members and as well as women that I'd interviewed. And I discovered in that conversation that all around us throughout our entire lives from these conversations, there were... Uh, examples of how mentorship actually occurred. And the, the key factor was that mentorship didn't happen because you were in a corporation or an organization where somebody um, took you by the hand and babysat you all the way through to the next stage of your career. Right. What really happened was this concept of protege and mentorship. The, the individual, the protege, has to bring some talent into the conversation, into the relationship, in order to uh, merit the attention from somebody who will help make the next transition, whatever the transition is. And the book has multiple chapters about mentorship that start at home from family members, continuing through school in a variety of educational medium. At play, mentorship in sports is a major field of opportunity as well as moving into work or um, discussing the media, opportunities for mentorship, politics. Uh, and then there are a host of mentors who, uh, whose lives are exemplary for us but may no longer be with us. Right, right. Well, you, you actually start the book of talking about the ancient story of of mentor and 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 the historical place that mentoring and I love that word protege. So talk to us a little bit about that ancient story. Well, that's uh that's fun too because very often we'll hear people say mentorship is when uh in the Odyssey Ulysses told his good friend mentor to take care of Telemachus, uh Ulysses and Penelope's son while Ulysses went off to the war. And they, they end the, the conversation there. That's mentorship. Take care of my boy. But that's not what actually happened in the story. Uh, what happened in the story is that uh, Ulysses went off. There were a bunch of suitors that were taking away the wine and the food of Ulysses' estate. Mentors tried to kick the suitors out and tried to tell Telemachus to man up and take care of uh, his his mother who was being, you know, attacked uh, essentially uh, economically by the suitors. Mentor couldn't do it. Laertes, Ulysses' father, couldn't do it. Telemachus tried and failed. The gods sent down Athena. Now, this could have been a story of the gods, uh, you know, deus ex machina, where the gods take over and do something for right. somebody. Another traditional view of being saved by the Prince Charming or the God Goddess. 
But uh, Athena didn't do that. She said, look, you're not ready to take on these, these fellows, Telemachus. So I want you to go into a boat with your friends, go out to sea and find yourself. Find the stories about your father. Learn from that experience. Get out of here. So he did. Telemachus left. He went, met some of the great people, the great role models of Ulysses' life after the war, and learned from that experience so that when he came back and met his father, who was disguised as a as a beggar, uh, the two of them collaborated together to take back the property and, and the family from the suitors. At that point, Telemachus, uh, Penelope brought a big bow for you, the competitors to string. Whoever was going to string the bow would have her hand in marriage. Telemachus and Ulysses conspired so that Telemachus told the suitors, you have to put your weapons away into the storage area if you're going to compete in this. One small thing that Telemachus could do that made the difference between Ulysses' success and failure. Of course, Ulysses came back, strung the bow, the suitors were unarmed, and Ulysses and Telemachus together could take on uh, the challenge of the suitors. And one other piece of, of note, there. Ulysses was going to beat up on everybody, kill everybody. <laughs> Lemachus told him, no, father. Spare these few people who are honorable men who were just swept up by the, by the fury. So Telemachus learned something in the process. He didn't have to do some great feat. All he had to do was think small enough and accurately enough to change the course of the future. So the, here you have a protege, Telemachus, you have a mentor who was both Athena who sent him off, the, the role models uh, that he met along the way, as well as his own father. And that's the gist of this story. A protege is influenced by many mentors along the way. The trick is, as a protege, are you listening? Are you learning? What are the lessons that you take away from this experience? And throughout the, the book, Every chapter has a lesson that somebody learned from this experience. Right, right. So as you move on, and you, you gave us a beautiful outline of the book, and, and I love the, the simplicity of the structure because each one of us um, has at least one, if not many, of, of the different types of, of mentors that you describe. So you start with, uh, you know, a very tender story about reading at nap time. And, you know, I mean, I think about my own life, and I had, you know, just a terrific childhood with parents who were nurturing and loving and, uh, you know, really embodied unconditional love. And, and I also had a very strong mother who worked and, and had a, you know, a very, very nice model for me to follow. Not everybody has that, but you touch on a number of, of different uh, family mentors, including Babushka, or Babushka, as I learned how to say it when we adopted our son from uh, from Russia. So talk to us about some of these stories that are embedded in the family mentor section. Well, you're correct that uh, it, it begins with um, the mother as a mentor telling stories at nap time. And that that both influenced the the young woman because she heard many great stories, but she also had the, the great feeling of of 
safety and comfort. The mothers described in this chapter also challenged the young girls uh, to uh, take on, in one story, if you want to play with the big boys, you have to be prepared. Now, how many mothers have told us to do that? Um, There's different examples throughout the life, uh, uh, examples of uh, um, maybe a not quite a positive experience where a young girl listened and observed when her family member um, uh, ordered in a hotel, ordered uh, pablum and milk for a sister, and then she tried to do it when everybody was asleep. But she didn't quite do it all the way. She didn't finish the job. She didn't, I'll let you, let the readers find out why she didn't finish the job. But the message is when you teach your children, you have a choice of teaching them what they need to know for for the full spectrum of their performance. Or maybe you might have missed on something. Another story is Look It Up, which is the influence of being told not what the answer to how to spell a word is, but being taught how to look it up and discover uh, the, the wondrous part of the discovery process, whether it's in a dictionary or learning from our brothers or learning, as you say, from Babushka, a, a woman, older woman in a different culture. So it's the, the variety of, of mentorship at home is as diverse as you want it to be. Right. Well, and it does take a village to raise the children, for sure. And so we move on to school and the role that uh, the educational side of their world and other mentors that do come up uh, throughout childhood, which can, of course, include uh, the folks in the neighborhood or, or people at church or um, you know, where, wherever they are kind of hanging out during those school years. Yes, I think a number of the stories include individual teachers and how they, um, in one case, they they taught the young lady how to um, respond to almost bullying or intimidation tactics from a young uh-huh. girl. Another teacher uh, was um, a, a model of ambition, uh, giving the young girl her first exposure to um, how to how to raise her expectations for herself. Another story is about uh, expectations in uh, in a school where the young girl went out to to a private school and she was uh, very several days late because of a hurricane and she was quite a bit behind everybody else. How did a counselor simply coach her or counsel her to uh, continue? even though she was unsure about herself. Right. So there's a couple of stories about um, how friends, roommates, or sisters have taught us how to deal with adversity, whether it's uh, something very serious, such as the inability to balance a checkbook, or whether it's something that's a passing uh, um, uh, health problem. Right. Well, it, it's so interesting because I, I have, I'm in my late 50s, but I happen to have uh, fairly young kids. I've got a, a middle schooler who's in eighth grade. And uh, yesterday, apparently the last two days, I had been out of town, but he had been working very, very hard on a PowerPoint. Uh, happened to be for his Bible class. He attends the Christian school. And, and so 
he had uh, he was very proud of it, and he wanted to show it to me. And so he he goes through, and some of the content uh, was actually a little disturbing to my husband and I because uh, he had. Um, used uh, something that, that ended up looking slanderous at somebody that <clears throat> I knew he hadn't done his own research. He thought his teacher didn't like this particular person. Um, and so we, we had a, a teaching moment as a result of that. And then uh, about 30 minutes later, he was trying to save the file to his, his computer, and it completely crashed. And my son dissolved into tears, and he, he doesn't normally do that. Um, but we had this whole moment about how do you handle the crisis because he he actually lost the file and it, he had worked on it for so long and it was you know almost eleven o'clock at night so that educational environment and what they have to learn and and I, I told him you know how you handle this crisis now in the eighth grade is you know you're going to carry through that to when you're an adult so you know I think that time is so important and surrounding our kids you know, with people who actually can turn those things around and not just do it for them, not just fix it for them. That's absolutely true. Uh, the The reality that this book wishes to convey is there are so many mentoring opportunities that happen just serendipitously as we go along. And the, the key is, are you listening as a, as a mentor, as a, yes. and a protege to make, to make, positive change happen. The other thing is that at the end of that uh, uh, chapter is the concept of business case studies. Women in leadership business case studies are some of the most valuable possible learning experiences. And just this morning, I was reading in the paper about uh, some women in technology posted a, um, um, uh, an, an article on that they wrote on the site Recode is a blog, and they're talking about choose possibilities and choose women in leadership as exemplary role models and change the conversation from this negative dearth of women in technology, yes. negative, you know, all the little disasters like your son's disaster. Uh, we can write articles about uh, how few women are in STEM or in technology, or we can write tremendous business cases that we can use to teach other women about how they can succeed by focusing the business cases on women in leadership because there are more women in leadership in business today than ever before. Right. Right. And so you then turn uh, to the at play, which is, is mentorship in sports. And it's funny because my partner and I just got back from, uh, we were at, at Club Med yesterday, which has a sports academy here in Florida, which I, I was not at all aware of until Club Med hired me to go in uh, last week to help uh, with their North American sales meeting. And uh, the the story just grabbed me and was so fascinating because they're a tennis academy and they've got a golf academy and uh, and the folks in the tennis academy have actually trained people like Andre Agassi and Monica Sellis and you know so they're training champions but they've also realized that they have to teach them the critical life skills including. Uh, you know, the educational side. So they actually have built uh, a school in conjunction with the sports academy. But they were sharing, you know, so much of the role of the mentor that their coaches play with these students who come in from all over the world. So I was fascinated when I looked back at this chapter in your book of talking about that kind of mentorship. So share that with us. 
That's absolutely true. At Play is the mentorship in sports chapter, which includes um, conversations about what young girls feel like when they compete, uh, when they um, there's a story about what is happening today in our parks where fathers and, and brothers are, are coaching young girls about the techniques of, of softball or soccer. Um, there's a chapter on Title IX, which is the, the most fundamental piece of legislation, giving us enough money in sports for uh, women to have scholarships and to succeed stories about uh, Billie Jean King and how she wasn't simply a tennis master, but she was also one of the women who battled for equal pay in the uh, awards for tennis competition for women. Joni Benoit Samuelson, the first woman to um, compete in the, to win in the Olympics of uh, the marathon. There are so many games out there where we are learning as women how to compete, how to, how to win, how to lose, how to uh, be good sports, how to be great team members. Uh, we have changed dramatically since many of, the, many of the stories that were written here describe the, the way young girls were treated in sports in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And if we look back at those days and we compare what's happening today, younger women's soccer, women's softball. Today, it's a world of difference. And all of the competitors, all of the women who have participated in sports provide role models and mentorship opportunities for uh, young girls to realize their potential and their long-term health viability, which is another benefit of all of this uh, wonderful at-play exercise. Right. Right, right. So uh, moving on from there, you, you then talk uh, about mentors from business. And, you know, I think people picking up this book would have expected it to start there. Um, right. so you, tell, you tell a number of stories, uh, you know, about the mentorship relationship in the workplace. And, you know, of course, the, the whole overtone of all of this is leading up to the place where you can actually be mentored into a board relationship, right, where you can actually serve on a board and be mentored by someone who who uh, knows that that's your personal goal. So share some of these stories with us. And I see there you do have a chapter on Sheila, which is great. That's true. I, you know, the the typical mentorship conversation talks uh, about a very structured world in the corporate uh, environment where. Uh, some junior partner will be uh, the aspirant to partnership will be handheld up uh, up the career ladder. And I think you'll find in these stories that they're a, uh, a collection of different perspectives. There is one case where uh, a woman who aspired to a advanced career role sat down and talked to another woman and said, in essence. Uh, Tell me how I can follow in your footsteps. And the woman, the senior woman said, well, in reality, I'm just waiting to bail. I'm waiting to get out and travel the world around, which, is, uh, which was disappointing to this, uh, this young woman. She said, wait a minute, what are you trying to keep me from 
a competitive position next to you or why would you why would you say this to me and the reality that came across in the conversation was that uh, generationally many women who made it up to leadership roles um, struggled with accepting leadership roles and that was one such woman but if you look at other chapters here such as Ju- Julia Bloomfield Indra Nuyi, Jolene Godfrey um, and Sheila Roning as well as Via Shirley you see a collection of women who are very comfortable with success in their in their lives and who um, understand that mentorship and protege relationship is a relationship of first and foremost of competence. Right. And and you if if you can't demonstrate competence and confidence first and foremost, there is nothing to mentor. But if you can do that. Um, even Indra Nuyi, in the in the conversation with with her or about her, she has achieved pretty much everything that most of us would aspire to, and yet she still focuses on I have I always have to prove myself, and that's fine with me because I know by having my competence out there first and foremost that gives me the assurance that I can deal with any issue. Right, right. Now, so one of the you, things, uh-huh. the Sheila, Sheila Roning is, um, again, another great example of she provides not directly mentorship to, to women to get into a boardroom like an executive search professional. What she does do is she, she brings women who have served as corporate directors to forums and to her webinars to converse with aspirants about what is it that you did? Why, why do you think you were selected? How, how did you enhance your, your career potential? And most importantly, when it came to networking, what, what are the facets of networking that helped you to succeed? So Sheila is, is not somebody who, who gives you all the answers. She, she helps you understand your path into a boardroom. Right. Well, and, and again, opening up a network that you may not even be aware of otherwise. And, and that's really how the Executive Girlfriends group got started to begin with, is, is we had a number of women. We, it started with a group of women in the travel industry, which is, is my pedigree, uh, travel technology specifically. And uh, we started uh, having people say, well, can I invite you know, my friend from you know, this industry and that industry? And all of a sudden we found ourselves being a cross-industry group and, again, opening doors to, to people that they never would have met in, in the course of their day. And I, I think to find those groups that can help you do that. And so often people will try networking, uh, you know, to further their their career or to provide, you know, plan B for, you know, if something does go wrong. And they'll start with a local networking group where, you know, you walk in and everybody's got a stack of business cards and they're a real estate person and they're trying to sell you Amway. And, you know, it's not the right kind of networking. So uh, for those who have not been successful of that, you know, hearing all of these stories that you recount in that chapter, I think, would be very useful to help them think about that. So next you talk about in the media, about mentorship stories, um, you know, in published works or, or about the media 
uh, industry itself. So share that with us if you would. Before we go to that, let me just add uh, one other thought from the work, at work mentors. The part of the goal of the at work mentors is to provide a, an array of of careers that women have pursued. For example, Dia Shirley was a founder of a company that was basically one of the first telecommuting firms uh, in the world. Girl Taxi is a story of a Saudi Arabia um, taxi service focused on uh, providing uh, taxi services to women who can't drive in the Saudi uh, uh, economy. Right. Today, if you look around you, there are two additional companies, uh, Hot Skip Drive and Shuttle, which are American-based companies in Northern California and Southern California doing exactly the same thing, providing a unique business service to women who need to have the problem of child, child uh, driving, you know, the commuting, uh, solved. And so this is a, an example of women innovating in this business area. Oh, I love it. I was actually just thinking about that about 30 minutes ago uh, because I frequently have that challenge because, uh, you know, I've got two kids who are going in different directions all the time. So I had never heard of Hop, Skip, Drive. What a fabulous it, idea. And it's the kind of service that uh, will address needs across the country. The big question is, can it scale? Can women, right. can women take it to the next level? And certainly we all hope so. So this is an example of how we can learn from other examples, other women in leadership taking the entrepreneurial step forward. So let's go on to the uh, in the media. Right. Now, in the media, <laughs> when I first wrote my first book, I had done extensive research, literature research, and was going to write a book called Why Women Can't. It was to have three parts. One was to be, uh, it's all her fault. It was going to describe all of the articles that said that women can't, uh, what do women do wrong, what, how do they sabotage their careers. The second chapter was going to be titled, It's All His Fault. It was going to include summary of the articles about male bias and discrimination and pale male stale in the, in the boardroom. And the third one was going to be there ought to be a law because the, the fact of the matter is we expect laws to change in order to make it possible for us to progress. Uh, quotas are an example of there ought to be a law. When I finished the book, I said, this is depressing. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't do anything you. with this. I can't do anything with this. Where do I go from here? Um, I mean, <laughs> I threw the book away. I shredded all of the articles, and I was felt so good afterwards that I wrote my first book based on studying the women who actually made progress, made exactly made success happen. So, in this media chapter, there are a number of examples, like necessary dreams. Um, Networking, Ellen Welty's article about how, <clears throat> how to speak effectively uh, in public. <clears throat> there are another ex another examples of how women actually do it. It starts, however, with a book that was significant in my understanding of 
of why we do this. And that is the book, In the Company of Women, How We Hurt Each Other and What We Must Do to Stop. It's written by Pat Heim and Susan Murphy. Uh, they are two very impressive uh, researchers, and they discovered that if you look at women in dialogue with other women in the past, we have seen that there is a great deal of, shall we call it, jealousy. That if women, right. one woman succeeds, that we feel, unlike men who might have a situation where they want to be like Mike, women might sabotage that successful woman in order to bring her down to our perceived level. Um, this is an important book. Uh, in addition to my book, I think women have to read this and look at the reality of what they say. I also added the second chapter, uh, Diagnosis and Treatment, which is this, is this phenomenon, hurting each other, is something we can fix in ourselves. We can remedy the tendency to sabotage successful women. And the way we do it is we have to substitute the fact that they're exemplary, they're teaching us something, they are our mentors, and that we can learn from them. That's the whole premise behind the rest of the book. So if we can learn how to emulate the, the positive examples of role models, there's nothing, no envy, no jealousy. It is, uh, it's an opportunity. And there are <clears throat> a number of additional examples of how times have changed. I right. look forward to, I, and, and exactly this, uh, this today's newspaper article about Choose Possibilities Project, and I commend that to your, to your listeners, is a perfect example of how this generation, the millennials and this generation of successful women, are changing the tone, changing the media, telling the media we don't need to just sabotage ourselves we don't have to talk about the dearth of women, the bias, the prejudice. Let us talk about how women are accomplishing and succeeding in tremendous numbers today. So I'm very hopeful about this generation's ability to change the frame. Right, right. So, you know, speaking of change, the next chapter is about women who are political change agents. And, and so the whole issue of, of what we learn from women in politics, and, and uh, you, you give a number of stories here. So, and you, you wind it up with, is America ready for a female leader? And that probably could be its own radio show. Uh, but, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about political change agents. The chapter starts with a book um, by a, by <clears throat> a woman who attempted to change uh, the political frame and, and did not succeed to any great extent. She wrote a book, uh, Rona Romney, uh, about her experience running for uh, different positions in the Republican Party in uh, Michigan, I believe. And she, she wrote this book to try to tell women this is what we need to do. We need to be able to earn money for the campaign. We need to network with the established um, political uh, community. Excellent advice, even, even though it's from someone who didn't succeed. But the bottom line is, guess who is beginning to succeed? Her daughter. 
and oh, she is learning learning from her mother and the political women who preceded her that success is still uh, an opportunity for us. The next couple of chapters talk about let's look at who actually has been in political leadership as a woman or in ca- cabinet members today. Again, the emphasis is on we have to acknowledge the successful efforts that have yes. come to this point. There are a num- there are more women in political positions today, literally, than ever before. And we have the opportunity to learn from them, not as indiv- not as just one person in a cabinet, but there are hundreds now. Emily Card, uh, Patsy Mink, Brooksley Bourne, and of course Sandra Day O'Connor. Again, marvelous role models of what would what would where would we be had they not done what they did? Emily Card was instrumental in passing the Equal Credit Act, uh, and I assure you, as somebody from her generation, think about what this world would be like if married women could not own credit in their own name. Think of the economic impact of that legislation. Astounding. Right. Pat Mink, uh, the, who was instrumental in passage of Title IX, imagine the economic impact of not having all those scholarships today for young women in athletics. Brooksley Bourne, who tried to speak to us about uh, the uh, hazards of derivatives, and she at least brought the issue to the fore. Of course, Sandra Day O'Connor, a marvelous story in my mind. I always use it, the story of Sandra Day O'Connor in my uh, speaking engagement. When she was, uh, she was like number one in her graduating class in law school in the 50s. But when she got out, she could not get an interview with any law firm because she was a woman. I mean, this is, this is astounding. This, if we don't appreciate how far we have come, we, we, we can't go further. She, the story that I tell here is about her early, very early days in Arizona, a story that she told in her book um, about Lazy Bee, about her, her days in the Arizona um, sort of outback. Um, and this is how she learned, where she learned, how to become somebody who can take on the kinds of challenges that life gives you, whether it's um, a flat tire in the desert or whether it's not being um, accepted as a peer among the legal profession. Right. And at the end, I talk about the history of American women uh, attempting to pursue political leadership roles at the top level. And uh, there's a lot of conversations around um, whether we are ready for a female leader. I think every one of, if you look at the statistics, there's two factors that we should know. Number one, there are more women voters than there are male voters. And especially in the Democratic Party, there are more women uh, registered Democrats than male Democrats. If we want to elect a female president, all we have to do is show up. <clears throat> and that's, that's the point. Are we here to tear down the opportunity that is ahead of us, or are we here to make the opportunity a reality? 
it's so much in our own hands as women, and it's up to us to decide, is this the time that we're going to do it? Right. So wrapping up, you move on to talk about those who are no longer with us and and the lessons that we can learn uh, from these historical figures. So share that with us. Well, uh, it's a short chapter, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot uh, of women who uh, could influence us. Uh, There are other stories in the book where uh, women have passed on, but these are just a few of them. The the reality from Ginger Rogers is that uh, the saying is she danced every step that Fred Astaire danced, but she did it backwards and in four-inch heels. (laughs) That is a great expression. Um, There's actually a book uh, written about that. The reality is that uh, we, for a long time, women have done the same thing that men have done with greater adversity. And what's different? The the difference is we we have a tendency to give men credit and we have hesitated to give women credit. So the message here is to give the women the credit that's due. Uh, repeating again, the choose positive, choose possibilities. The type E woman, is, I guess, is my attempt to address all of those uh, messages that, that women give each other about, oh, uh, everybody expects things of me, uh, everybody is putting a burden on me. Um, Harriet Breaker number of years ago, wrote her books uh, as a psychologist and described how we can, as women, push back against those people who are punching our buttons and ringing our bells. And that, that to me, is, again, a positive role model, somebody who understands deeply the way women have felt about feeling like they're everything to everybody, and that is the type E woman and her solution which is how do you deal with it you again you recognize that somebody's pulling your chimes you don't let them get away with it you reach back into your depth of confidence and confidence and you step up to the negotiating table and stand your ground so this is a this is a workbook how to do it the um, the last two chapters talk about my one of my favorite subjects, which is uh, women who have become corporate directors. Um, the first one was 43, a little over 43 years ago. I, if you think about it, that's pretty amazing that we've had uh, only a few years, really, of experience with women in the corporate boardroom, and so we should we should expect that we we have a lot to learn. It's like being on a soccer team, all right? And you're the newbie. You're the you're just beginning to learn how to play this game. The same thing is happening in the corporate governance world. Women are just beginning and thanks to people like Sheila Roning are just beginning to learn what does it take? How do you do it? How do you how do you deal with governance issues? These are real substantive issues that we have to learn about. It's just happened a short time ago to start, but we are making massive progress. 
Well, and thanks to people like you who take the time to amass these stories for us because, you know, we all know that they're out there and that we can learn from them. But uh, this book uh, really pulls it together in such a wonderful storytelling uh, approach, and, you know, it's a very, very easy read. Uh, Elizabeth, if you had to boil down, and I know you probably do this in in the conclusion section of your book, you know, what are the, the... two top lessons that that we need to take to heart about mentoring and and whether you are the mentor or you are the protege? I'll I'll tap one of the stories from the media um, to answer your question, if I may. There's a story called Assume the Position, and it's taken from the story of Shrek uh, 2, I believe, where the uh, a whole collection of princesses like Cinderella and um, and so forth. All of the typical stories of, of women Rapunzel are have been taken hostage and are located in the in the dungeon uh, by the evil prince. Okay, the um, the uh, Shrek's wife and and his the mother are there as well and. And they're all talking to each other, trying to decide, oh, woe is us. What shall we do? And, of course, this sounds very familiar, does it not? (laughs) (laughs) How should we we deal with this? And, of course, the the princesses who have had uh, a treasured life tell the mother and Fiona, well, of course, the answer is we do what we always do, assume the position. And they go limp dependent, um, and and Fiona and the mother say, what's going on here? They say, well, we're assuming the position of of, um, waiting for the prince, the good prince, to come and to save us. And, of course, Fiona and her mother say, no way, girls. (laughs) And so they work together to break out of the prison. The point is we can assume that Somebody will come and save us from the tragedy that we have, which is a story that has been told for two women for centuries, whether it's uh, the prince giving the kiss or you kiss the frog and turns into a prince, making you, uh, you know, making millions for you, or whether it's um, just some other prince of a mentor to come and save you from yourself in your leadership position, to take you to a leadership position. All of that is assuming the position, assuming that somebody else will do it for you. And what Fiona and her mother convey is it really is in your own hands. Your future, your destiny, your opportunity are defined not by those who do something for you, but by how you create the world that you want to live in. And what they're saying is that is what a protege does. A protege mm. doesn't have to be a an outstanding, um, you know, superstar idol. A protege is somebody who simply takes her talent in hand and does the next best thing with it that she can envision. And the mentor is somebody who will, in a way, push you out the door, push you into higher expectations about yourself, tell you perhaps a little bit more about the world that is around you, 
so that you can have these ambitions of being uh, whatever you want to be. So the protege-mentor relationship that I describe at the end of the book is understand that a mentor isn't going to pay any attention to somebody who simply assumes the position. Right. A mentor is excited by working with a protege because they see the potential and they are excited by the opportunity. The protege is excited about working with a mentor because there's a mutual beneficial relation, mutually beneficial relationship that can result from this. It may not last very long. It may only be a short snapshot. It may only be a paragraph in a book. This is all a mentor-protege has to be to be successful. So it's up to you as an individual to decide what chapter here provides you an example of what you want to do and look to yourself to take more of the initiative than look to the mentor to take, do all of the heavy lifting. lifting. Right, right. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Uh, the book, again, is called Tapping the Wisdom That Surrounds You. The book is on mentorship and women, and our author guest today was Elizabeth Gaffari. Elizabeth, thank you so much, and I hope you have a super weekend. Thank you, and if uh, individuals are interested in the book, it is available on Amazon and Kindle. And my championboards.com website has direct links to uh, information about uh, the book and its chap- each, of the chap- each of the books and each of the chapters. Thank you, Chickie, so much for uh, this opportunity. And uh, I know you are a marvelous mentor to many of the protégés at the EGG group. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. And for those who'd like to know more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can just go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. All of our uh, radio shows are accessible through there, uh, as well as on our Facebook page. We have both a public Facebook page uh, for Executive Girlfriends Group and also our members-only pages. Elizabeth, thanks again for your time today, and I look forward to really uh, delving into the book uh, on a deeper basis uh, for myself to really, really help me be a better mentor to those who, who uh, I am fortunate enough to, to counsel with. Have fun. I will, absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Shiki. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.